three women are killed. At each of their crime scenes, the police will find a chestnut man with the fingerprints of a little girl they thought had been killed years ago. That is, until now. I'm dropping you right into the plot. We are going back to 1987, to a farm in Denmark. It's a rural place, and this police officer has just embarked, has been called to pay a home visit, believing that it was a crime scene, because somebody called the equivalent of 911 in Denmark. I didn't check what that is. I should always check. What's some visit in Denmark? You see... As visitors, we don't think of these four processes. Like, how do you call firefighters, police officers on the scene? That is not really prevalent at this very moment in time, Maya. He has been called for duty. Somebody called him. Something has happened on this farm. And it's kind of like a utopian scene that he encounters as he's walking past, like, these dead cows and dead farm animals. And as he's walking through the house, he goes into this one room and sees this fireplace. And on top of it is just a line of these different chestnut man figurines. Looking quite like this, without the wing. Why does this one have a wing? Yeah, so they're just like lined up, looking all like chestnutty and shit. And that's the last thing that he sees before he's smacked the back of the head and he drops to the ground. And then we go to present day. We are in October. I don't think the show states which year, but we are in the present day. Oh, just one more thing before we meet in the present day. You're kind of led to believe that this scene might not be relevant, like, because there's, I think, six episodes in this series, and for about five and a half, you're like, where, why was that the first scene? Like, do we ever wrap that up? Uh, but when the police officer is kind of inspecting this farm, and he has the gun drawn before he gets smacked in the back of his head, he sees this little girl hiding in that room with the chestnut figurines, okay? It will all wrap up, that's why I'm mentioning it. So, we're in the present day. We meet the family of the Minister of Social Affairs in Copenhagen, in Denmark. This woman's name is Rosa Hartung, and she was supposed to return to work that day after things she had taken, like, a year off due to the murder of her daughter. We don't find out much about that situation as of yet, but we hear it on radio broadcasts, like TV news, and also you kind of see people ring up her husband being like, where is she? Is she coming? Is she returning today? Because she seems to be late. And the husband is looking for her around the house and finds Rosa at her daughter's room, obviously late for work, still sort of trying to process everything, but she says she's okay to go in, and she returns to the office. On the other side of town, we meet Naya, who we will find out is a detective, but at this very moment in time, she's dropping her kid to school. And we kind of get introduced to that dynamic that maybe because of her work, she's constantly absent and isn't really super close to her daughter, and her daughter is kind of rebelling against it. After she drops her kid off to school, she is back in the police station, and we find out that she wants to transfer offices. She wants to go work with the IT guys. And she's asking her boss, Nylander, for a reference. But he says, we'll talk about that later, because we have a new case. Naya, by the way, is played by the Serbian beauty that is Danica Ciucic. I will watch every single thing that this woman is in, 
purely based on this performance, purely based on her questioning my sexuality, that now doesn't really matter. Love her, love it, love people who speak multiple languages, who come from my country, love me the immigrants. But she meets this Europol transfer. I really wanted to say Erasmus, and that's not it. Europol transfer, this dude who like works in Budapest, works in all of these places, his name is Hess. And this is like the typical, hmm, typical stereotype, what's the word? <laughs> trope, trope in true crime shows and series. Every freaking series has one. It's the guy that you're supposed not to like because he doesn't do things the conventional way and he's always like sort of attached to the hip to the protagonist and pisses her off but he's actually like super smart but just unlikable. So that is pretty much who Hess is and will prevail to be during this whole series while he will be solving most of the things and Naya will be there beautiful and smart but you know the protagonist the face of the series so the two of them meet and they're put to work on the same case and you can immediately see the dynamics of that relationship just doesn't seem to be it but fuck it they have to work together for Naya to get that nice reference for her new job they are about to find out what this new case entails, but before they do that, we go back to Rosa, who is now in the office. And she gets this email that kind of seems to be a threat. In this email, she sent pictures of her daughter from kindergarten. And the message in the email reads, I hope this hurts. You deserve to die. Now, as I told you in the beginning, her daughter has disappeared and is presumed dead. We still don't know that story. But what we find out from the discussion Rosa has with her PA, this Instagram account that the pictures seem to be taken from has also been taken down in the couple of weeks after Christine Rosa's daughter's disappearance. So whoever took snaps of these pictures has held on to them for about a year. So, Rosa isn't really freaked out as much as probably she should be. She just tries reaching through to her husband. And we learn that her husband has been dealing with grief in a bit of a different way. He has been drowning in alcohol. And we also learn that the two of them have a son called Gustav, who is, by the way, the biggest legend on this freaking show. So, Gustav is kind of like talking to his dad, saying, you're not the only one who misses her. You know, like, get a fucking grip, father. Like, I lost my freaking sister now. My mom is back to work. Like, bitch, I need to deal with you. He doesn't say like that, Gustav. He's the best. He deserves the best career on this show. Okay. We go back to Hess and Naya, who have met and now have to fucking work together. And we finally find out what the case is all about. <laughs> Come, you this. Tits are not gone, tits were not gone during this video, tits were not gone during this video. <laughs> Why is so it for this show? <sighs> because the caffeine here, that's really it. I mean, I would recommend watching it, but <laughs> continue. Move the fuck on. We meet back with Hess and Naya on their crime scene. The victim seems to be a 37-year-old called Laura. We find out that she didn't appear at her job as a dental nurse and it seemed like she went to bed last night and once she did, her basement was open and that's how the killer got into the house. 
from the head of forensics that is on the scene, named Gens, they find out that he estimates the time of death to be during the night. But the location where they're at, where this crime scene is at, is a playground. And most importantly, one of her hands is severed. Basically, I really want you to watch this show. I mean, I would recommend watching it or just read the book, listen to audiobook. But if you're going to watch it, just mentally prep yourself for the graphics of it, the limbs being cut off, and that being done in a really realistic way. Probably the most realistic one I've seen so far, so that's good and really disturbing at the same time. That same head of forensics, Gens, looking at her hand, says that this has been done before Laura was killed. So it seems somebody attacked her at home, maybe chloroformed her, got her unconscious in some way, dragged her to that playground, cut off her hand there while she was still alive, and then made her fight through her binds before she was killed. And it also rained during the night, so that washed away most of the evidence. And Naya, as she's kind of walking by the scene, trying to figure out is there anything out of place, spots a little chestnut man figurine just near Laura's body, but perfectly placed on the ground. I have just dropped you into the plot of The Chestnut Man, which is this Netflix series that is currently being broadcast for about a week or a couple. I don't know when I'm gonna post this video. It is a Dutch series, I believe, but it is shot in Copenhagen, in Denmark. I don't know the logistics of it, I don't know who it is really produced by, I know who the book is written by, I'll put it on the screen because it is based off of a book. And I also know that Naya is now my customer service agent name, so if you contact my company, you're not asking for Maya, you're asking for Naya. I'm doing it purely because I love this actress and I feel deep sexual connection between us, but also... <laughs> Because I'm questioning my own identity crisis, and that isn't going well so far. I'm so confused and so on edge every time I contact a customer under a fake name, purely so that they don't find me on LinkedIn. And also, again, because I'm too attached to my name and I'm testing that in general. I would suck as a spy. I would suck at it so badly. But it is not about me. Naya is back at this crime scene, and now she needs to obviously give Gens that chestnut man in a little evidence bag for them to see if there are any fingerprints. The rest of the first episode focuses on Gens analyzing, doing a little of the forensics bullshit in the lab, and also analyzing the fingerprints on that chestnut. And on another end, of course, they're first looking at the close family. They're looking at, does she have a boyfriend, a husband? And they find out that Laura indeed has a husband. And this man is sketchy from the get-go. Naya there is grilling him, okay? She's showcasing that Serbian spirit. I don't even know if she grew up there. She is literally just, like, on his case. And he seems like he's hiding some shit. He's saying that they have changed the locks, but he can't really give her a reason behind it and that he doesn't seem to have a key for the locks and they're like what why did you just change the locks like it seems kind of a bit of a coincidence and then your wife gets murdered so she's kind of grilling him and you can see that he is going to lawyer up soon 
And around the same time as she's just inspecting the house, she sees this boy staring at her from across the road. We will later learn that that is Laura's kid, who has just been taken by his grandma or something, while they obviously process the crime scene. After that interrogation with the sketchy husband, both Naya and Hess return to the forensics, and they speak with Gens, who had examined Laura's body. He found out that she died due to the impact, due to the hits to her head. So it seemed like she received over 50 blows to the head at that playground after her hand was severed and that she succumbed to her injuries. But after giving them the autopsy results, he says, okay, there is something groundbreaking and creepy and I can't explain it and I need you guys to figure this shit out. And then he pulls up on his computer kind of like a zoomed-in picture of that chestnut. And by blowing up that fingerprint, he shows them the crucial three points. So apparently they need five to confirm for sure whether or not the fingerprint belongs to the same finger. But Gens is sure, just looking at these three crucial points, that this fingerprint can only belong to Christine Hartung, the little girl that is presumed dead for over a year. So the question that I had at that very moment isn't answered until long-ass time since then is, um, Christine, can we get a bit of a background story? Like, did the family never get the body? How do they know that she is dead? and not just missing if her fingerprint is here and everybody just starts wondering what happened to Christine. Like, how are you sure she's dead? It will get answered later. And then the second question that Gansi is still looking into, but it can't be answered in the same way that the first one can because it isn't as scientific. And that is the question of the chestnut and the age of that chestnut. And Gens tells them it can be anything from a couple of months to a couple of years old. So, of course, one thing means that Christine might still be alive and that they might have a wrong man behind bars, that they might have fucked that case up. And the other answer might be that maybe Christine was making chestnut men in the past and might have sold them to somebody. So, of course, this is where Nyan has his minds go. And against Nylander, against their boss's rules, they go to the house of Rosa and her husband to question them on that. And they're just like, <laughs> never mind the fact that we found the fingerprint of your daughters on this chestnut, on this crime scene. Was she into chestnuts? Like, was she, you know, making chestnut men as a little child? And they first question the husband, but Rosa then interrupts and she says that her daughter and her friends did indeed use to make these chestnut men figurines. And after making them, they kind of sold them outside. Sort of think a lemonade stand, but like the chestnut stand. But they don't know any particulars of like anybody who might have bought them from them. But it is an option that this doesn't have anything to do with Christine. That it's somebody just messing with Rosa and that Christine is indeed dead. After the longest day at work, Naya finally returns home. And at her stairs, she finds this new fling boyfriend of hers that has kind of been sleeping over every now and then. Uh, his name is Sebastian, doesn't really matter, he's a really a prevalent character. 
and he brought flowers and all of that and she's kind of surprised like why aren't you in because my daughter lee and the grandfather that apparently isn't her biological father but is lee's grandfather is taking care of her and he says yeah that grandfather axel yeah he's like an ex-cop he doesn't just let me in so you know naya just opens the door and he's like come on axel like you clearly know i've been seeing this guy like let him the fuck in everybody's reproaching her for taking ages at work you know why didn't she switch to it department to cybercrime yet. Axel is there like, I love taking care of Lee, but you are her mother and she's just like, fuck's sake, fucking hate this day already. So they sit down, eat, and while they're eating, Lee, Naya's daughter, brings out these chestnuts like to play with them. She's like, oh yeah, we need to make chestnut men for a school project. And it clicks with Naya that one crucial person that she didn't interview, interrogate rather, yet, is the son, is Laura's son, the victim's kid. And, of course, it is the most illogical step, the thing that she does next, because the kid is clearly grief-stricken because his mom just died this morning, but she decides to go and visit him and ask to speak with him. And at that same time, Hess had the same idea, so he appeared on the scene. We don't really know where the kid is at this point. I think he's in some sort of hospital, institution... I don't really know from the scene. It just seems like they had to ask a nurse to let them speak with him. And when they walk into the room, this kid is playing a video game and it seems like he doesn't really want to talk. So Naya's like, let me lead the conversation. But then she doesn't really manage to get him to speak. So Hess starts it off. He's picking up that this kid is playing a game. So he tells him, I'm just going to show you a set of pictures. And just like in your game, you just tell me if in any of these pictures there's something that doesn't belong. So, you know, the kid kind of drops the phone to the side and is looking at these pictures. And once Hess shows him that one picture on the playground with a chestnut man, this kid, Marcus, points to the chestnut. So now they know that chestnut man had been placed there, had been placed at the scene of the crime, meaning that Christine's murder and Laura's murder must be connected. The second episode picks up on the hunch that Naya had about the husband, about Laura's husband. And, of course, as expected, he had lawyered up and he comes to the police station for further interrogation. And Naya still gets the feeling that he is lying about the reason that they changed the locks. That he just seems shady in that aspect, but once she shows him the picture of the chestnut man, it just doesn't resonate with him. She doesn't think that he is behind it purely because it just doesn't seem to have any significance to him whatsoever. Meanwhile, Hess is convinced that this has something to do with Christine Hartung's death. So he looks at the forensics. We find out a bit more about Christine's case purely because of Hess. We find out that there is a guy currently sitting in prison for her murder that there never was a body found, but that they knew of a murder weapon because it contained Christine's tissue and blood. But what it didn't contain and what Hess finds out is 
bone dust. So it seemed like it contained enough of her blood for them to figure that she has been murdered, but not enough bone dust. So Hess here thinks of doing an experiment. So he invites Naya and the forensics dude Gens to this truck, like, to help him out. And they're pulling out something that you kind of think, like, is this a freaking dead body? Is it a mannequin? What is it? And of course, it's none of those things. It's a pig. And Hess pulls out a machete and, like, tries cutting at this pig, basically to show them that there is no way to cut a tissue with this kind of weapon, with a machete, and not have any bone dust left. He literally takes this machete into the Gansy's lab and is like, examine it. See? Science. And they're like, okay, maybe we should kind of listen to you, you weird, unlikable character. Okay, 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 yes, we got it. After this experiment, I switched off for I'm not even kidding with you two seconds. And a completely new character was introduced, and I was like, how the fuck did we get here? Basically, they were in these one of these labs at the police station, examining the cyber part of it. So finally, Naya got to speak with her IT guys. And they were examining Laura's phone, so the victim's phone, and they found this voice message that seemed to have eerie chestnut met rather castanya man song. It seemed like Laura was on one of those Halloween performances watching her kid perform the day before and somebody was there, unbeknownst to her, recording them singing. And somebody sent this voice note to Laura. And maybe that lured her out, we don't really know the context, but what is important is that they trace that voice message to this rando's phone. So they track this random guy. I was like, what just happened? Basically, they track him down, they pulled him into the car, and they're like, uh, you left the victim this voice note. He's like, who? I don't know this woman. What is going on? But then they see inside of his bag, like, an envelope, this package that he just went to collect that is said to be from Laura, from the victims. They're like, uh, open it up, because it seems like you have some connection to this woman. And he said he received this anonymous message to open this up, and when he does, it is the severed arm of Laura's. As they have this dude that just went to collect the severed limb, apparently, well, Hess is, of course, not having it. He's there grilling him in this police car, like, so what, you just go to the post office to collect limbs for a living? Like, what the fuck? Of course you are connected to Laura's death. But Naya is thinking smart, and she has the guy's phone. And she looks at the background and sees a family picture. So him, his own wife, and a kid. And she asks him, where is your wife right now? She somehow managed to connect that women seem to be the target. And when they go check on his wife, they find her dead. They walk into their house and they find the figurine of the chestnut man just chilling on the dresser. So Naya and Hess bring in the dogs and they head towards the forest, but it's too late. Because in the middle of the forest, they find their next victim and hanging upside down from the tree with both of her hands cut off. As they're taking in all of the evidence to get processed, Hess is looking at this crime scene and then looking at the chestnut and he says there will be more victims, as morbid as that sounds, because 
The first victim had only one hand cut off, this woman had two, meaning that at least there are gonna be two more. Considering looking at the chestnut man, it's a little figurine with like toothpicks or sticks, depending on what you make it with, sticking out of it. Meaning if this killer is so fixated on recreating an actual chestnut man, there will be at least two other victims until he cuts off all of the limbs. So both hands and both feet. While the Hartungs still aren't aware of this crime scene, both Rosa and her husband Steen are facing some difficulties. So her husband obviously is processing everything, still latching on the hope that his daughter might be alive. So he goes to the school that the daughter used to go to, sort of before the school begins, and intercepts one of Christine's friends. And he's just like, so sorry to interrupt, like, I know you're rushing to class, but but you and Christine used to make these chestnut man figurines. Do you remember anybody you sold them to? And she says, no, she's really in a rush. And you kind of get the vibe, like, is anything going to come from this? And then it doesn't, because I really wanted that to develop somewhere, you know, like, press her. <laughs> Just like, or get the police to actually look into her friends. I was like, why is nobody following any common sense here? But it's probably because that doesn't really lead nowhere, but it just pissed me off. Anyways, Rasa is in the office, and as she's going in, she sees that somebody spray-painted murder on her car. We pick up after her work with Nylander, so Naya and Hesse's boss, coming to actually speak with Rosa and her husband. And he's saying, okay, so just to inform you, there's been a second crime scene and your daughter's fingerprints have been found on this chestnut man too. So the husband, obviously latching on to hope, asks Nylander, okay, so if the fingerprints were found today and a couple of days ago, doesn't that mean that my daughter still might be alive? We leave the Hartungs off with the dead just more and more latching onto this, while the police officer, basically Nylander, told them, and Rosa kind of agrees that this might be directed at her because of all of the threats that she is receiving and because of this connection with the fingerprints. So she isn't as convinced, but the father seems to be fully on board that his daughter must be alive. So he's going through all of the old newspaper coverage of her and just seems to be completely immersed in all of that and everybody's just ignoring Gustav and I'm like, give Gustav some fucking screen time. Anyways, in the police station, they're grilling the guy, I think his name was Eric or something, the guy that is the husband of the second victim, Anne, and they're just asking him more and more details about, well, how did you receive this message? Why are you collecting a random post? Like, the fuck are you doing with your life, my man? Something that comes as a surprise to the husband, to Eric, is when Naya asks him, why did your wife pack up all of the kids' clothes and ship them off to a location before she was murdered? He's like, she did what? So they find out that he has been cheating, but they don't think again, just like in the first case, that he is the one 
that murdered and but they're trying to find the connection so naya also asks him about this other discovery that she found out in their family home and that is a lot of dried up blood underneath the stairs and eric is like oh silly you you know i just went to collect a severed limb so of course i can explain the dried blood in my house you see our daughter yeah our daughter actually fell down the stairs a couple of months ago she broke her nose and her clavicle which i had to google i was like isn't that just like a posh name for collarbone and it is so he's like oh yeah she just falls down the stairs and then upon one fall she broke off multiple things apparently so she had to be hospitalized and as soon as Nyan has to leave that investigation room they're like hmm, a child just doesn't fall on their own accord breaking multiple things there seems to be some abuse here so they go to the clinic, to that private clinic or hospital, where the daughter had been hospitalized. And they find out that Magnus, Laura's son, so the son of the first victim, was also hospitalized there. So they're like, okay, maybe we have a connection, finally. There's something connecting the kids in this family. And they interview this doctor who seems not really give a fuck so they're asking him like mm, did you maybe like sleep with both of the wives was there an infidelity here and he's there saying no no actually that is i see you're looking for a connection that ain't it i didn't sleep with those wives they're actually not connecting like the families don't know each other the only connection i can conjure up is those anonymous reports that actually came in so both of these kids have been seen by them it is revealed that magnus laura's son wasn't actually being abused but that he was being seen for autism and with anne's kid they were treating her for the broken nose or anything so they never suspected abuse but then both families stopped coming to that hospital after there was an anonymous tip stating that the kid is being abused so with Magnus, with first victim's child, they looked into it, but they never found any signs of abuse. So they just gave up on it and rang back the social services saying, it's nothing, it's just somebody filing an anonymous report. We looked into this and investigating it in depth. So of course, Naya here and Hess get the fuck out and they're like, okay, let's go, social services, check all of the anonymous tips. And literally, Hess is bringing, like, files on files, like, hundred freaking boxes to the police station saying, like, hey, bring us all of these interns, bring us all of the freaking newbies. We need to go through all of these anonymous reports. There's so many of them. And now we kind of know what they're looking for. So a mother with a small child where people have neglected any anonymous reports towards. They're trying to see who the next victim is. Because if you remember, Hess thinks at least there's going to be two more. Now, this is the moment where I looked up the Criminal Minds wiki because my ears perked up. Because at this moment you have enough information to figure out that this might be what criminal minds refer to as an injustice collector. And maybe possibly FBI profilers, if that is still a serious thing, because 
during our criminology lessons they would teach you that there isn't really much. But clearly this is somebody who believes that another person, in this case a child, is being harmed and their parents aren't doing much about it. They might be the ones in which hands the child is being harmed. So they are looking to seek justice on behalf of the bullied, the victims. And usually in like 99% of the cases and so many of the Criminal Minds episodes, the ways to right the wrongs would be through something criminal, through a criminal action, usually through murder. Just murder spree to save them from the violator, to save these kids from this bully, from whoever is harming them, because clearly social services aren't doing much. Looking through these files, Nayan has recovered the anonymous tip that was placed against Laura. And whoever called in this tip referred to her as a whore and claimed that there was evidence of abuse and that it can be found within her home. So, of course, both of them head to that home to see what they missed out on. Maybe, maybe those locks. Maybe that is why the husband was so shady. So, Naya is canvassing the area and Hess goes inside. And he goes into Marcus's room. He goes into the kid's room and lies on his bed. And he's sort of like trying to figure out, go into the mind of a child, like, what would you do? Like, if I was in this situation, where would I hide something indicating what was going on? And as he's lying on the bed, he sees this poster at, like, kind of, like, the arched wall above the bed. And behind the poster, he finds a piece of paper, a drawing of sorts, with this really black smudge showing, like, a really dark hole on the bottom of the building. It seemed like maybe there was a hole, maybe there was a basement, a room that they are yet to find. So he immediately heads there. As he gets into this shed-like room, he finds a grate underneath his feet. And he figures there must be a room underneath. So he sort of pulls up the latch to open it up. And as he is looking underneath him, he sees a small desk, a bed, children's toys, and also a camera. And as he lifts his eyes, he sees... A man who was until then hiding and has now attacked Hess, pushed him down that hole, shut that latch behind him and left him knocked out. But luckily, Naya was still around. Naya, who now reached the location, points a gun at this man and she realizes it's the father. It's Laura's husband. And he manages to fight the gun out of her hand and as she's knocked down on the ground, he escapes leaving the camera, the laptop, all of the footage, all of the incriminating evidence behind. Third episode of the series focuses on a few things. The first one is it picks up where we left it off, with Naya coming to her senses, releasing Hess from that hole, and then bringing all of that evidence to the police station. And now, of course, you knew where the camera and the bed and everything was going, the husband, the father, was abusing the kid. But this is, like, still the first victim's family. So, either they're thinking this man is 
actually the perpetrator here, he killed his wife because she found out about the abuse of the kid and that is why she must have changed the locks without him knowing. But then, in that situation, why would he kill the second victim? There's no connection there. So, that kind of leads us to believe that somebody else did and somebody else knew of the connection. But that is creepy and also to a next level because how would they? How would they know of all of this abuse going on? In this episode, we also briefly kind of touch upon the relationships, the dynamics between those, because of course they're affected because of the toll that Naya's work is taking on her. She finally breaks up with this Sebastian, and he really doesn't like the fact that she has just broken up with him, but fuck it, he'll deal with it. So, that happens. And also, Rosa's husband is saying he's gonna finally stop drinking and also is going to stop looking at his daughter's death. But we know that he won't, because he's still heavily researching into every single article, looking at all pieces of evidence, fully believing that she is still alive. The main focus of this episode is going back to Naya and Hess looking through those social security reports. Looking through these documents, they find another five potential reports based on like the linguistics, the language used, handwriting, all of that. So they figure out these five have been made by the same person. But looking at the previous victimology, you know, mothers of small children or women within a certain age range, they find two potential victims. And they decide to focus on one in particular. Because yet again, it seemed recent enough and it seemed like nobody really acted upon it. Their focus becomes this woman named Jessie. She is a 24-year-old single mother of a small child called Olivia, who was only six at the time. It seems like she's kind of sleeping around, really neglecting her kid. She's drinking a lot. We see her appearing at this, like... I don't know, is it kindergarten? Is it school? It seems like one of those parent-teacher conferences. She appears late and everybody's just kind of looking at her like, oh god, she's a mess. You know that they have, like, bitched about her the second before she arrived. And as we see her appear at this teacher-parent reunion, one of the fathers seem to be taking particular attention to Jessie. And he's like, will you excuse me? I need to go to the toilet. And she was like, oh my god, I also need to pee. So the two of them meet in a basement of this school, in this room in the middle of nowhere. It's like one of those rooms where they keep like, electricity fuses and weird shit. So, you know, the two of them do it in that room. And then, as she leaves the room, you're kind of creeped out because you believe that she's going to be attacked. She's walking down these dark corridors, hearing these noises, but she makes it out on the street. And all of these moms are looking at her like, just pick up your child. It's just like, do one job at a time. Everybody's very judgy towards Jessie, which also makes her perfect next target. Among the moms waiting outside are also Naya and Hess, who bring Jessie to the police station. One thing I didn't mention when the two of them are like doing it in the shed inside of a school, the guy finishes off, right? And then slaps her over the face. I was gonna lose my mind. Slaps her over the face and he's like, this will never repeat itself again. While he was the one to excuse himself first to the toilet. And then says, I'm a married man. You are a slag, basically. And it's just like, 
I, I thought I was gonna fight somebody during this episode because they bring her into the police station and this woman is in denial. She's like, oh, I'm not gonna die. Like, um, this complaint thing that you receive, uh, yeah, that shit. It's one, it, it must be from one of the other moms. Like, that's the only explanation. Like, yeah, they're telling me off for coming in drunk and bringing my child drunk and neglecting them. Like, it must be one of them. They hate me. And they kind of tell her that they're gonna start tailing her nicely, but we don't really pick up on that until the very end of the episode. We go back to the dynamics and sort of where the case is right now, because somebody in the media seems to have gotten the information about the chestnuts and that this might be connected to Christine's case. So, there's news reports playing about these connections and the fingerprints being found. And, of course, that means that Rosa and Steen, the Hartung parents, now need to explain to Gustav about what he's hearing on the news, whether or not his sister might be alive. Like, this family is being re-victimized this whole series, in every single episode. While that is happening, Naya again arrives home fuck knows when, and her daughter Lee is like, hey mom, nice to see you. Like, you broke up with this guy, nobody's really taking care of me apart from like me going to school and then spending the rest of the day with my grandpa. Like, are you ever planning to actually return home? And she's like, oh my god, I'm still on this case. And at that moment, Hess rings and he's like, hey, I want to discuss something. So she invites him to stay over for dinner. And as she is, like, washing up, doing things in the kitchen, she overhears her daughter and Hess speaking. And her daughter asks him, of course, desperately, trying to find a boyfriend for her mother, because Lee actually recently had to do one of those family trees for school. And she only put, well, her mom and I think a pet on it. So she just wants her family tree to look bigger so that she can talk about it more in those school presentations. So she's asking Hess, like, oh, hey, do you have a girlfriend? And he confesses to Lee, this small girl, that he was actually married, but that his wife died in the fire. And Naya just isn't like, interrupting. She's just there, like, overhearing, like, okay, cool, and then she rejoins them for dinner. From that point on, we realize that she has actually called Axel, the grandpa, to take care of Lee as she goes out for the night. If she doesn't go out partying, of course, they are tailing Jessie, because they full-blown believe that she's going to be next victim. So, what they've done is they emptied her apartment. So, they moved her into this cabin in the middle of nowhere with only one police officer sort of monitoring her movements. And nobody knew of this location but the people within the police precinct, everybody on this stakeout. And they left Naya in Jesse's flat and Hess is observing from like a flat across the street with binoculars. So, about an hour into this stakeout, they see this figure with a hood on, suspiciously moving down the street, then climbing up the stairs of this apartment block, and they're like, Naya, this is it. This is who it is. They're coming to attack. Just please, gun out. Draw the gun out, and as they do, and as the police officers tackle this man down right in front of Jesse's flat, they pull that hood up and realize it's the guy she has been sleeping with on the school premises. 
And he is there because he received the video of the two of them doing it. As if somebody was there, right there, maybe in the same room, recording the two of them on the school premises. Meaning somebody's blackmailing him and he thinks it is Jessie. So he sort of came to scare her, you know, so that she doesn't talk and reveal that he's a cheater to his wife because he's such a family man. After this settles down, after they send him off home, now Naya is spooked, so she rings the police officer that is left with Jesse at the secondary location, and we see that in that hut, on that secondary location, the police officer heard some noise, so he went outside to check that noise, and all of a sudden Jesse just followed him, because this is like the white person movement in every horror movie, where they're like, the house is haunted, we should definitely purchase it, and then the whole movie is based on this. Like, completely illogical decisions. Like, you left her with one police officer, and then he goes out, leaving her alone, and then she goes out to follow him to figure it out herself. So, of course, they drive to the location, and they found that Jesse has indeed been killed. I don't have to tell you how many limbs are gone, it's both of her hands and the foot, and of course they found another chestnut man on the scene. And also this might be a good timing, if ever, in this episode, for me to explain... Are you having a manic episode? Is this what this is? For me to explain the concept of the chestnut man, because I wasn't fully understanding it, okay? I know I'm dumb. I know all of the Europeans are judging me. But listen, back home in Serbia, okay, it's not like in many countries up north, mostly Scandinavia, really. I haven't heard people do this, but apparently, according to the articles online, you do in Germany and, again, most Scandinavian countries up north. Basically, back home, we do like our chestnuts, but we like to eat them. So you will find, like, vendors on the street selling chestnuts during this time of the year, so, like, September, October, November, during fall, selling warm, like, hot chestnuts. And they do taste nice. I'm not, like, wow, obsessed with that shit, but, you know, it's not like here in the UK where you don't really find those. But... Apparently, that is not... that isn't what people do up north. Or maybe they do, but this is what they're mostly obsessed with. Because there's YouTube videos on this. If anybody has done this during their childhood, please call me out on this and explain it in better detail. Because there's no, like, cultural background on this online. There's YouTube videos on how you can decorate your chestnut man, what to use, different kits to buy online, to use to make these chestnut men. But the concept is that young children make those. And then, yes, you can sell them, or it is just used to display. I don't know, do you do it as actual school projects? Kind of like it is portrayed in this series. But they can be really cute, you know? You do use sharp objects as children to actually make the holes within a chestnut. Something like a screwdriver or scissors, or there are kids, apparently, so I don't really know at what age children start doing them. According to the articles online, in kindergartens and then preschools, in Germany, in Latvia, in Scandinavian countries, and apparently both adults and kids do it as like a bonding experience. You go into the forest, you gather the chestnuts, 
and then you work together with your kids to create these cute little animals. And there are childhood stories on them. I found a little acorn man in Latvian that's called Zilx. And also then, just like in this story, there are songs about them. So yeah, if anybody wants to elaborate on that part, because that isn't truly the part that I fully understand, please feel free to do it. Because so far, I know it's like cute little figurines. So it isn't as creepy as the movie makes it and definitely doesn't have anything to do with limbs, again, as this series, not movie, makes it seem. Okay, I just thought I should explain because I was lost when I went into this. I was like, oh, this is like a thing that people just know of. We just eat ours. So, cool. We pick back up in that story. In episode 4, we pick back up with Lee just desperately wanting to stay with Axel. Not really wanting to stay with Naya because she realizes there isn't really a point. Like, Naya would just return home once Lee is already asleep. You know, she just wants to stay and then Naya can visit at her own convenience until she moves to work in cybercrime and actually can take care of her daughter because it seems like that relationship is unreliable. And Naya is like, okay, cool, listen, we'll talk about that later. I mean, I'm not really arguing with that right now, but just, again, gotta go back to work. She returns to Hess, and Hess is, again, in the next level stress zone. Hess has not smiled during these six episodes. He scares the living shit out of me. But he is focusing on everything that he might have missed out on. Now, thinking about that experiment he had done with that machete and the bone dust not being there, he's looking at the time of Christine's disappearance, and then matching that with Linus, the guy who is in prison for the crime, with his alibi to see if that ever checked out. And he actually manages within the evidence box to find this video footage, to find the footage showing the supposed killer of Christine Hartung, literally on video, with a timestamp, when she was supposedly missing. So, he shows this to Naya and says, we need to pay him a visit in prison. Like, I definitely think by now that they have a wrong man and somebody is fighting on the outside or is actually responsible for that crime from 1987 and his crimes and this guy is just chilling in prison for the crime that he didn't commit. When they visit him in prison, Hess is really leading this interrogation. And he's asking him, like, okay, hey, so where were you during this time? And he says he was just driving around, he has obviously kidnapped Christine and then killed her. And they're like, but this is a video, like, we have a snapshot of you during that time. And then he just goes into this zone of singing Castagna Man, Castagna Man, like Chestnut Man, the fucking him. And then he says, oh, the Chestnut Man, yeah, he had chosen me to do this. And Hess, at this point, loses it. He just snaps, he just starts fighting Lee, you know, it's like out of desperation because this case is just stagnant, it's just not going anywhere. And of course, then the police guards walk in, Naya is kind of like trying to fight them off to separate them, being like, mate, like, you gonna fucking be removed off of this case, like, and you are kind of knowledgeable, an unlikable dickhead, but knowledgeable. 
The only thing they get out of this visit was that Linus, so the supposed murderer, claimed that he actually realized when the machete was found that he was part of the chestnut man's plans. Based off of that, Naya and Hess ask Gens to go into Christine Hartung's file and to send them all of the evidence that they have had there, because if anybody showed this guy anything, he might have just confessed. Maybe he was in cahoots with a chestnut man. They need to look into all of the evidence that they have on the case to figure that out. Meanwhile, what nobody knows until that point on, is that Rosa Hartung, you know, the social services, the minister, whatever her title is, she is actually conducting her own investigation with her PA. I mean, they have the access to all of these databases because Rosa is technically the minister of that, like social services and all of that branch. So that's why she thinks she is being targeted and also that's why she has the access to all of these files. And she has been looking with her PA into all of the cases in the past where somebody might have think that she had wronged them. Like if she is the target, which she thinks she is because somebody's clearly threatening her and using her daughter as kind of like a bait, well... Who would it be? Who would have reasons enough to want to harm her? And they find this file on a 28-year-old nurse called Benedict. And her child was actually removed from their family home by the authorities after she suffered postnatal psychosis. And after the kid was moved, they had a lung infection and soon have died. So, of course, there is a strong motivation here for somebody to want to harm Rosa over this. Because of her child's death, because of that trauma, Benedict was actually staying at a psychiatric institution, and she was released just before all of these attacks and murders started happening. So as Naya and Hess come back into the police station and they're chatting with Gens, speaking about all of the files in Christine Hartung's case and how they want to revisit all of them, somebody actually tells them, oh, hey, yeah, Rosa's PA actually called, like, a while ago and they said they have a suspect, so maybe you want to go check that place out? And they're like, why the fuck hasn't anybody passed us this message? We could have done that urgently. So they go to Benedict's flat and they realize she is actually living with a boyfriend. But they don't see any pictures of him, so they're trying to figure out who the hell the boyfriend is. And as Hess is looking at the walls inside of the house, they find all of these newspaper clippings, letters pinned to the wall, including the one with the word whore highlighted. So they're like, okay, this might be a hint. She might be behind this. While they're at the flat, Naya and Hess are also communicating with people at the police station. And they're looking into their background. And they find out that this nurse, Benedict, was recently reinstated into her old job. And it might be at the same clinic. So she might be the clear connection between how she knew all of the other kids then figuring out that all of the tips are getting unnoticed again, 
blaming the system, but mostly finding a target to blame it on, being Rosa and being all of the mothers in these cases. And then they're looking into who she's living with in this flat, and they figure out a bit too late that the boyfriend is actually Rosa Hartung's driver. And this particular driver is currently driving her son, Gustav. And the two of them pick up Benedict and Gustav doesn't really sense what the hell is happening until they're like in the middle of nowhere, in this forest. And the two of them start arguing, both of them get out of the van and Gustav is kind of listening in. Both of them now out of the car, the driver is saying we don't have to hurt him, this kidnapping might not be such a great idea. And as this nurse takes this blade out and is apparently about to open up the door to the car, well, they see a car approaching them in the distance. Then we leave this scene, we move back with the family. Rather to our family, like Naya and Hess, because Hess is now very suspicious and investigating all of Rosa's colleagues as well, to see who the fuck hired this driver, who allowed for all of this. So he goes to interrogate the PA, and also this guy Frederick, the colleague of Rosa's, who was kind of looking shady, like, this guy literally just appeared in this series, his phone seems to ring, he seems to be avoiding all of the major questions. The only thing we find out from this conversation was that Rosa was actually adopted. But we don't find, like, any further information now, because Gens calls in and says that he thinks he managed to locate where the vehicle is. These two make it to the scene, they find Gustav safe and sound, and they find both Benedict and the driver murdered. It seemed, at the first glance, that Benedict might have snapped, because the driver wasn't allowing her to harm Gustav from what Gustav was saying, and then that she killed him and then killed herself. So it was kind of like a murder-suicide situation. But Hess isn't buying it. He checked the driver's alibi for the night that they were having that stakeout and that Jesse was murdered, and he seemed to be working for the Hartung family. And also, it just seemed like somebody like Benedict would have targeted a child. So yes, she would have targeted Rosa for her to feel the same way, but it would be one single targeted attack. They didn't see the connection between the two other murders. It didn't seem like she was actually connected to those two families. She only wanted to go after Rosa because she thought Rosa personally harmed her and was responsible for her child's death, so she started dating a guy that worked for her in order for them to kidnap Gustav. After Benedict and the driver's death, they look into their autopsies, and the pathologist that performed them couldn't actually determine Benedict's cause of death, as if whether it was indeed a suicide, they're saying, like, it could have been inflicted by somebody else. So now Hess is there, like, having a nosebleed, he's a freaking mess. He's thinking, I should interview Linus, the guy that is in prison for Christine Hartung's murder, again, to see what is the connection between chestnut men. Because it seems like there's a chestnut man, right? And then they're like, pawns in his scheme. He still doesn't believe that this was done by Benedict and the driver. As in, the kidnapping, yeah, sure, 
but he doesn't think that all three other crimes are connected to that. It seems like somebody is really a mastermind behind all of this. But when they go back to Benedict's and Driver's flats, they find this freezer and they find all of the limbs belonging to the victims that were cut out on the scene of the crimes, just preserved. So, of course, Nylander, their boss, just tries to close that case. He's like, I mean, the two of them must have bought the chestnuts. You know, the driver worked for the family. Fuck the fact that he had an alibi. Fuck the fact that the nurse wasn't connected to anybody. Like, case closed. So, is that where the show ends? No, of course not, because there's like two more episodes, okay? Listen, never question whether a Serbian person will stop with their resilience. They will not. Am I doing the Casper thing again? Why does this thing hit right into the camera? Doesn't matter. Episode 5 has a strong opening. It's so eerie. I fucking love it. We are in West Zealand, which, again, I felt so dumb during so many points in this series. So I googled it and it's in Denmark. It's not like a part of New Zealand. I mean, it also is, but here it is in Denmark. And we go back to 1985, so two years before the first crime on that farm. And we meet these three children. They're literally in the middle of their huge garden, just making these chestnut men singing Castagna men, Castagna men. And then, you know, you see a family come out of the house and the mom of the house is like, Rosa, can you, like, come inside? And she does. And the other two kids seem to be, like, I don't know, suspicious or just, like, weirded out by the fact that Rosa is going inside. And I'm like, oh, God, if this goes into sexual assault again, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. So, Rosa goes into the house, and we figure out that it is Rosa Hartung, indeed, and that these are her parents, and they just told her, we are planning to adopt the twins, so the two kids that are sitting outside making Castagna Man with her. And she's like, yeah, that's great. But it's such an eerie atmosphere. You're kind of like, does she want them adopted? Does she not? From that flashback, we are brought into the present moment. And of course, Nalander has shot the case. You know, Gens moved on to work as the head of forensics on other cases. Naya is moving on to cybercrime. And Hess is moving back to Bucharest or Budapest, somewhere in Europe. And as he does, he you get the feeling that these two people don't believe that they have had the right people all along. Both of them believe that the chestnut man is still out there lurking and just looking maybe for his next puppet. So they decide to focus on the person that is still alive. Well, Hess does. And he asks somebody in the police department to forward him all of the crimes that Linus was searching, the guy that is in prison for Christine's murder, everything that he might have searched online. And by requesting this, Hess is sent an email containing images, crime scene pictures, all of the evidence from the crime from 1987 on that farm. This next part is done brilliantly. So, Hess is on a plane or a train or wherever the fuck he is. He is looking at these pictures and he realizes there's chestnut man figurines at the scene of that crime. So, he figures he's gonna come back, 
and speak to the police officers in that police station who sent out that guy that was knocked out and we presume was killed at the beginning of the series. Then we see Naya, who is at this Halloween party of her daughter Lee, and everything is about chestnuts, they're singing Castanya Man, and then this teacher is talking about how, of course, as we know, there are two different types of chestnuts. And Naya is there like, um, sorry, hello, uh, clarify, please, because, you know, <laughs> not that I'm on this case that involves chestnuts, like, it's a normal thing. So, this woman tells her about, like, horse ones, farm ones, Alyssa. I had to google it because I didn't note it down and I was like, they didn't say horse and they did, okay? So, there are two kinds of chestnut trees, not chestnuts, because that's logical, right? They come from a tree. So, there are sweet chestnuts that contain nuts that you can roast and then eat, which is what we do back home. And then there is horse chestnut that is also called buckeye. And these horse chestnuts can be a bit poisonous and also can make hard seeds that some people use to play a game of conquers. I'm not looking further into this. Why are there so many things connected to chestnuts? I will never look at the chestnuts the same way again after the series. You know that, right? Again, it's not about you. Back to that. So she then decides, of course, logically, that she has to leave that performance, the Halloween party, and she's like, sorry, Lee, gotta go again, I'm leaving you with the grandpa Axel, because I just found out about different types of chestnuts, and you're like, where? Fuck this. So, she goes to speak with Gens, and again, be like, go into the files, what kind of chestnuts, were they horse ones, were they sweet ones? And Gens is pulling all of these chestnuts from different crime scenes, and he says, okay, we have the species, so yeah, the ones found at the crime scenes don't seem to be the same ones from Christine Hartung's backyard, so I don't know when they tested those, but they did. So that means that the ones that Christine was making with her friend weren't the ones that she apparently sold to Benedict, the driver, whoever the perpetrators were, and that were found on the crime scenes. Meaning, what if Christine is still alive? And then, so those are the two plots that are happening. And there is a third one. We see Rosa in her own house, kind of climbing up the stairs. She's been clearing the room for some reason again. And as she climbs up the stairs, on the table, she sees like a circle of chestnut men. It seems like they are sort of standing in a circle, like, you know, they're doing color. <laughs> Like, they're gonna dance in a circle, you know? Like, you do at Serbian weddings, and then you break the plates, and then you dance to turbo folk music. It's just chestnut men in a circle. And at that very moment, when she sees those chestnut men, which you know, you know what I mean by now. You know that they indicate death. You know that this person is looking for another victim because of the limbs situation and the fixation of the chestnut men. She gets a text message. In this text, she is told if you want to find out what happened to your daughter, appear at this location during this time. So, she realizes she has a couple more hours, and she goes back into her office, 
her job, by the way, at this point is kind of like at a balance because I'm not even going into the dynamics of these things because I don't find them super important for the story, but because of, well, all of the threats, because of all of the newest publications and the scandal that that is bringing to the government and also her husband went publicly on the news to say that he believes the daughter is still alive. So, due to all of that, she's kind of figuring that she's gonna lose her job soon. So, because of all of the access to the foster services, everything to do with social services that she has through her job, she decides to go back to the office with her PA and to go back onto the system to find out who these kids that she is having memories, flashbacks about, she seems to be dreaming about are. Because she clearly remembers the moment from the beginning of this episode where her parents have pulled her into the room saying, we are going to adopt these two people. So, where are they now? So, we have those three plot lines developing. So, let us go back to the first one. Let us go back to Hess, because he jumped off his train, plane, whatever the vehicle is, and he went back into the Orum police station, the one where they sent a police officer in 1987. And they're closing down for the day, you know, it's like 5 p.m. They're like, we're we done. I know with the police, but we're done. And this police officer is kind of just leaving through the door. He's like, come tomorrow. Or I think it's come Monday because it was Friday. And he's like, listen, bitch, your friend? Yeah. What do you think happened to him? Your colleague, the police officer, that's not what happens. So, this guy is intrigued, like, he wants to go to his house and chill on the couch for the weekend, but he's like, what is this man saying? Like, nobody really questioned this crime. So, the two of them sit down and they have, like, files, all of the evidence from the crime in 1987 in front of them. And this police officer tells him, okay, so this is what we encountered on the scene. It seemed to be a foster family on a farm. They weren't really taking good care of the farm. They weren't really doing well financially. And they seemed to be taking foster kids because of the payment that you get once you foster these children. And on that day, when my colleague was called in, well, the mother of the family was found dead in a bathtub. Our police officer was found dead in the basement where all of these chestnut men are that you see in the pictures. The father of the family was found in this shed. It seemed like he shot himself after he killed most of his family. And the two teenage kids and the pig seem to have been shot with the exact same weapon, with the exact same gun. What they uncovered from the crime scenes were the tapes. It seemed like the two twins, Toke and Astrid, were kept in a dungeon. The wife would always be behind the camera filming the husband abusing the kids. And the boy... Toke seemed to have suffered in particular. They'd lock the boy, Toke, up, and they would lock him up in this room with chestnuts, where he would be making all of these chestnut men as a coping mechanism. And that is why that police officer found all of these chestnut men upon entering the house. After he sees the videos and chats with this police officer, Hess questions him more and more about why are they so sure that the dead was the perpetrator? 
because both of the kids apparently survived and both of them would have had the motivation, it seems. So this police officer tells him it is because everybody has been killed with the same gun and also it appeared that, you know, from the position the gun was held, that the father could have committed the suicide part of this murder-suicide. But I just didn't see it right with Hess because he's thinking, why would they leave the people that can blame everything on them alive? So he tells this police officer that he thinks one of the kids, most probably the boy, is responsible for this and that exactly because of this he has the motivation to go after everybody else. So he's asking for further information on them. What do they know about them? And this police officer says to him that the twin sister, Astrid, has been in a couple of psychiatric facilities and they think they know where she lives now, but the boy has just not been heard of. After the age of 18, he changed his name and he is basically a ghost. Nobody knows where this boy is now. Hess now further and further questions this police officer, what about their background? Why were these kids adopted by this family? And this is where we kind of see all of the stories collide. Rather, we see Rosa remembering this part and then Hess and the police officer discussing this particular part. What happened is, so after the twins were adopted by Rosa's parents, a couple of weeks later, she actually pulled her mom into the room with her. And we see that Toke, the boy, is kind of spying through the crack that he has heard and seen what she is about to tell her mom. And we hear clearly that she is about to say something significant about Toke. Then she whispers into her mom's ear and her mom kind of says, are you sure about this? Because you know what this means. This means we are going to need to seek help for them or give them back to foster care. And Rosa says yes. She is aware of the consequences, and as she hugs her mom, she locks eyes with Toke, who is in the corridor, looking through the crack of the open door, and we figure that whatever she has just told her mom is actually false. Maybe she was jealous about the twins, maybe she just didn't want anybody to be living with them, and she wanted to be the only child, but because of this, we find out from the police officer that is talking to Hess that these twins have been adopted with that farm family that abused them, filmed the abuse, and has heavily impacted those kids. <laughs> I went for a chocolate break. Let me finish my Tony Chocolate, which is like a super overpriced chocolate. I just tried it for the first time. <laughs> I went to have a chocolate break because this next thing creeps me out. It doesn't make any sense. So, let's well, just say. <laughs> so, hear me out. <laughs> so, hear me out. Hess is still with a police officer, right? In a police station. And he is asking, like, you know, did Astrid and Toka have any pictures taken before they were 18 so they can track two of them down? Especially Toka, because by this point he believes that the kid is responsible for it, that he isn't the dad of the family. Then the police officer suggests, actually, my sister worked as a teacher. So let's just go home. Let's just go visit my sister because she should have pictures of all of the children. Listen, kudos to teachers. Teachers are amazing, but that was creepy as shit. 
So Hess and this police officer appear at his sister's house and Hess is going through this wall of pictures of children from school and he spots a familiar face because that man looks exactly the same today. And it is the face of Toke, one of the twins. And it's also the same face that he sees every day in the police station that he has been transferred to because the person is Gens. Gens is the motherfucking chestnut man. And Gens is also, inconveniently so, at this moment with Naya, with the Serbian queen. Because what are they doing? Well, Naya was fixated on those chestnuts, you know, sweet ones, horse ones. So she just wanted to go out and find the difference, I guess. Oh, fucking no, she's in a car with a killer. But she doesn't know that yet. But what should be really suspicious, or should really be a clue, was so the two of them are chatting, right? And Gantz is kind of, you can see that he's nervous because, well, he is the one who needs to meet with Rosa as well. And, well, this bitch is like stopping in front of every single tree, being like, chestnuts, let me find out the difference. And you're like, oh my god, why is this so frustrating? I didn't write the script, okay? I didn't write it. So they're in a car chatting. Let <laughs> me burp. <clears throat> they're chatting in this car, okay? And, accidentally, Gens mentions Axel. So he's talking about Lee, you know, who does she live with now? Are you a good mom? Naya, whatever. And he mentions Axel by name. And I was like, how do you know the name of my dad and her grandpa? And he's like, you mentioned the name. And she's like, I don't think I ever did. She just continues talking about how, you know, until she moves, yeah, she's staying with the dad. She's just bullshitting how, you know, her own father, Lee's father, never took any care of her, never paid alimony, whatever. And you can see Gens getting more and more upset, saying, well, actually, the responsibility is always prevalently on the mom. And I is like, Okay, yeah, sure, but still, like, the dad never really gave a fuck, so why am I supposed to be the only one responsible for the child? And Getsy is getting more and more upset. Well, the mothers are there to protect their children. The mothers are most important. The mothers should care. The mothers shouldn't just believe anything. And, like, you're kind of creeped out, and Naya just doesn't get the message. She's like, stop the car. And you're like, oh my gosh, she's gonna get the fuck out, finally. But no. She has just seen a chestnut tree, and she's like, this might seem, this seems like it. The exact same chestnuts that were found in all of the crime scenes. And somehow, unfortunately, she's right. But yeah, she gets out of the car to examine this chestnut tree. Apparently, suddenly, she's an expert in chestnuts, even though 10 minutes ago she didn't know the difference between the two of the kinds, species, whatever. And Gens is there sitting in a car like, fuck, I need to meet with Rosa already. But luckily for Gens, this also seems to be like the exact location of where his old family house is. So basically, from that chestnut tree, you just drive into like a driveway and then you see a whole less farm. So Naya... <laughs> so Naya here is observing, examining the chestnuts from this tree and she's like, wait, I see that driveway as well. Let us drive 
all the way to that house in the middle of nowhere because what if the killer lived here? What if they use this as their base? And Gans is there like, uh-huh, sure, whatever you say. So they literally drive there, middle of nowhere, where you think nobody will find them, and they just park up their car in front of that location. And as Naya pulls out her gun, sort of like goes in, takes it out, sees if anybody is there, as she walks into one of the rooms, you see Gens shutting the door behind her. And just as she turns around and figures out what is going on, he puts chloroform over her mouth that also came out of nowhere, and she's knocked out and tied up by Gens. Because that appears to be the exact same location where Rosa is to appear for their meetup point, she shows up on the location and is just literally speaking with Gens, who she doesn't recognize, because she was never in touch with him. He was always sort of like, you know, in the back doing forensics. So she's asking him, where is Christine? Okay, like, you know, I, I don't know, you were my half-brother and then I accused you falsely of doing something inappropriate. And as she enters the kitchen, she encounters Naya there being tied up with the tape over her mouth. And Tokta is like, well, this is just like when we were children, there's chestnuts on the table. And we all screw drivery thing to make holes in that is like, let's make chestnut man. Meanwhile, Hess, on the other part of town, is trying to figure out the location of this farm. And this, again, <laughs> because I didn't write this book, or the script, or the series, isn't really made supposedly clear. Maybe I black out when I watch foreign shows with subtitles on, but from what I gather, he doesn't find out the location like from the police officer, which would be a logical thing because he just spoke to the man. No. He finds this location out by going through Gens's shit, like going to see who his next victim might be because apparently he can't connect that it's Rosa. Fuck me. Listen. And finds that he uses a picture of his young sister, so Astrid, when they were younger, as a bookmark. And in this picture, there's a whole ass farm in the background. And he's like, hey, let me drive around. So he drives around. As I told you, this place is in the middle of nowhere. It isn't visible from the streets. He comes upon the same chestnut tree and he's like, it's right here. And you're like, how the fuck? It's been zero cents. But hey, now Hess is there as well. And as Hess makes it through the door, the situation inside of the house has changed up a bit because they were making chestnut men or weren't because they were both kind of tied up eventually. But now we realize that Rosa has been chloroformed and she is in the basement of this house tied to this gurney, in a way, the operation chair, right? Is that what gurney means? Anyways, as she's there, our Serbian queen, Naya, is conscious upstairs in a bath. <laughs> I'm laughing because her thighs are in front of her, which is like a crucial mistake. So, of course, she's in a bath. She's trying to use the tap to take those thighs off. And as that happens, Hess breaks into the house. He's screaming, Naya, Rosa, Naya, Rosa. And downstairs, 
What is Gens doing? Well, of course, going for the limbs to complete this mission that didn't make sense in the first place, but in his head it did. So he just starts off cutting Rosa's hand and you're there like screaming at the freaking screen like somebody just save them all. Oh, another thing, another thing that I forgot to mention was that before he tied her to that Guernsey down in the basement and started cutting at her hand, he walked her through the house before he knocked her out, sort of telling her that he bought that house once she started popping up on TV. It especially triggered him that she works in that area, not just that works in social services and all that, but is the minister after what she had done. So he bought the house where he was victimized as a child in order to seek revenge. But he killed all of the other victims as well, and he's walking her through the house being like, hey, this is where we live, this is where I was abused, this is where I used to hide and make the chestnut man. And she's like, wow, this is great, I will not survive this ordeal. So we pick back up where Hess walks into the place. Gens from downstairs hears Hess calling for Rosa, calling for Naya, so of course he knows the ins and outs of this house, he manages to hide behind Hess and knock him down and sort of bring him to the basement, but Hess does reveal that he has tipped off his boss so that everybody is headed for this location. While that's happening, Naya manages to free herself because again, she was tied the way that she could free herself, okay? I'm not complaining about it, but it's just, come on, come on, don't make it so easy. So she frees herself, and in order to save everybody, she goes back outside to the car to get Gens's gun, because while they were driving to the location, she opened the glove box compartment, and she realized that he has a gun there. But as she is trying to return to the house with that gun, Gens sort of like kicks her, in the stomach and she's knocked out outside. Then we see Gens going back to the basement wanting to burn them all alive and of course there's chestnut men everywhere inside of the house, it's so fucking creepy. So there are some in the basement, He, you see him on the cameras because he has cameras everywhere also, you see him pouring the gasoline, the two of them are knocked out in the basement, Rosa and Hess, he pours the petrol everywhere around the house and then lights up a match and you see everything go up in flames. And at that moment, Hess comes to his senses and he finds that saw that Gens tried to use on Rosa. He like tries to unleash her from the Guernsey and also to cut at the bars at the only window in that basement to free both of them. Just in the nick of time, he manages to do that. The two of them jump out of a burning building. And then he's calling Nylander, he's calling his boss like, oh my god, where's Naya? I think he's in his car, he's going to kill them all. He needs another victim to complete this sick mission of cutting the limbs off. And well, he has her in Naya partially because of the whole bad mother perspective, somebody sort of neglecting their own children, which is such a prevalent topic, may I add so, even though this is a sideline and the plot is about to literally finish, expire upon us. It's such a prevalent topic in all of these, once you figure out it's like about injustice collector, it is this type of criminal, and I never really exploited it, I mean, it's good because you still keep thinking about it if you are like deep into true crime and understand the psychology behind it, 
But also it only pops up literally in the penultimate episode and you're like, this could have been done a bit better. There's plenty of things could have been done a bit better, including this next bit. So, okay. Hess and um, Ross are saved, right? And then the police, ambulances, everybody's there to figure out is Ross's hand still attached and help her out. Meanwhile, Hess is just gone into the wilderness to stop Gens and... Naya, who are driving, well, Gens is driving, and Naya is knocked out behind the car, but then she wakes up, and you see Hess in front of the car that is driving towards him, trying to point gun and shoot at the tires to stop this car, and at the same time, Naya, from the back seat, tries to strangle Gens and to swerve the steering wheel, so to, to like, jump into the front seat, swerve it around. And due to all of that hassle, the car ends up in a ditch. And the next scene, you see, Naya is unscathed, no injuries, no scratches, but Gens is impaled. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't make this shit up. I can't make this shit up. I love this series and I hate it at the same time. So he's dead. I mean, <laughs> okay, before he analyzes, expires. <sighs> Before he expires, they try to milk the information on Christine out of him, but of course, he's literally impaled like the heart. It's quite graphic. All of it is quite graphic because it's Nordic, Scandinavian series, and it's their dark humor at life. So, of course, he doesn't say anything. But at that same instance, it just happens that his phone starts ringing, and they pick up on the scene of the crime as he's being impaled, may I add again. And there's a girl, a woman rather, on the other end hearing the sirens. So she figures, okay, he's dead. She hangs up the phone, takes out the SIM card and like cuts it into pieces. The police works quickly to figure out where that phone call was placed to, and soon you hear the sirens, and you see Astrid's home being surrounded, her being tackled, placed to the ground, and arrested. And for some reason, Rosa and her husband also appear in the car around that area, but they don't really go inside. The police does, and you see Rosa and her husband seeing somebody who would be of their daughter's age come out of the forest and they are reunited with Christine. And that's kind of where the series, the first season of it at least, ends. Well, of course, this means Christine is alive, the case is sold completely, finally, which also means that Linus is released from prison because he was convicted of a crime he'd never committed. And then these two detectives move on. Naya moves to cybercrime and Hess is off to Bucharest, Budapest, one of the two. And as he's about to leave, you see Naya kind of follow him to the station like, hey, one last thing. And I was like, if the two of you make out, I'm gonna punch a motherfucking screen. I already did about a couple times during this series. But no, she hands him over a present from Lee, and it is a family tree, and he is on it. He is included on the family tree. The end. What are your conclusions? What are your thoughts on this series? Because, okay, in my opinion, and I don't know, I mean, I suppose it is fully based on the book, it's very obvious to me 
when I record my videos and also when I see it in fictional, in anything really, any portrayal, any series, any documentary or, or a movie, when um, somebody gives up, <laughs> just like, you know, I understand it from a perspective of content creation when I give up during a video, you know, I usually don't hit the same caffeine hit at the beginning of it, at, at the end of it. And kind of the same thing happened here. Like first three, three and a half episodes, impeccable. Flaws, sure. As soon as the nurse and the driver and the kidnapping appear, I was like, was I blacking out or did it just get nonsensical? And I think it got nonsensical because I pay attention to like a ton of details. The blackout is certain unimportant things when it's a foreign show that I don't know or speak the language, but still, you kind of have to pay attention to the subtitles to understand the show. And also, you don't watch it dubbed because your brain just works as a normal person's brain. So, what are your thoughts on this one? I think it had potential. I still would suggest watch it, just because of the weird concept of the chestnut man, of the whole culture behind it that I was unaware of, and partially because of the plotline. But, like, after you start thinking about it backwards, you know that it's somebody on the inside, right? I always suspected somebody working with Rosa, like, one of the guys, I don't know what his name was, Frederick or something. He always struck me as creepy, but then... Once they show you Gens's face, you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, I could have figured that one out easily, because, like, who else was on all of the crime scenes, tackling all of the evidence, like, it could have only been Gens, so... That and the whole, like, trying to patch it all around... I was partially impressed with partially so just watching it, or maybe reading the book, maybe the book is better. Let me know what you guys think about this one. But for now, I'm exiting this dramatic exit. Let me know if you want me to cover more of these fictional ones from now on, really, in you know, November, December, next year. Now let's go for all of the months of the year. You know what? Is this a European thing? Or is this done in the West? You know your knuckles on your hand? Is this how they taught you to count months? Rather, which month has 30 versus 31 days? Like, January, February, March, April, yeah, July, and then August, and then you go back. You see? So July and August have 31 months, and you know it because of the fucking knuckle. I will see you shortly, later, in a couple of days, really. Okay, you're gonna burn more of that chocolate. You're gonna mommy this chocolate. So gross. So gross. Chestnuts. I do miss eating chestnuts sometimes. Okay. I think this is it. I think this is enough for today. I know it's hard for you to say goodbye sometimes when you are really hyper for no fucking reason. But yeah, go watch the chestnut game. Or chestnut game. You meant to say squid game, not chestnut game. That'd be next level. Exit this video, right? What do they do? What is conquers? I suppose it is to do with lights. But that's marbles. That's literally playing with marbles. I'm gonna Google what Conkers is, and then you're gonna be like, wow, she's so dumb. Has she ever played, like, a game as a child? Maybe not. <laughs> I was on the swing. I was swinging. Swinging on playground. Playground. Don't. <laughs> don't come for me.
as a child, who would have? Only you think like this. Only you are a pervert in this situation. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>